Hello and welcome to ASTCT Talks, the official podcast of the American Society for Transplantation and Cellular Therapy. We chat with industry leaders from all areas of the blood and marrow transplantation and cellular therapy field, including doctors, physician assistants, pharmacists, nurses, administrators, social workers, and more. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Today, we're here to talk about a paper that was published earlier this year. You were one of the authors on that paper about MRD negativity and lenalidomide maintenance therapy. And you looked at specifically how that's associated with people who have multiple myeloma. Can you talk a little bit about what your paper was and what you found? Sure. So our study was a single institution retrospective and we looked at all the patients that we had available data on who had undergone multi-parametric blood cytometry for multiple myeloma. And we're interested in determining how MRD status correlated with outcomes in these patients. Namely, those who received different types of maintenance therapy. So Valcade or lenalidomide or no maintenance therapy. And you know, our cohorts uh, you know, dated back quite some time to when we first started doing uh, flow for myeloma patients. And we thought it was a very relevant topic given that MRD is, is increasing in a lot of different malignancies, you know, certainly a gold standard in ALL, but for myeloma, other types of acute leukemia, it's becoming more standard. And we had a large data set that we thought it would be worthy to elaborate on. So our hypothesis with this data set was that maintenance therapy with either lenalidomide or bortezomib would improve MRD status, meaning either becoming MRD positive to negative or maintaining MRD negativity, and therefore improve outcomes right. uh, with the idea that you know MRD uh, may be like a surrogate for, for patient outcomes, which sounds intuitive, but you know, we wanted to be able to show that, at least in our cohorts, that you know, this could help in planning uh, other prospective studies across different institutions to see how MRD status is important. And we know that, you know, there's so many different ways of looking at MRD now. So we have, uh, you know, flow cytometry, eight color flow for us, but there's next generation sequencing and different things. So there's a lot of unknown about the best technique and how to standardize and, and compare across different institutions. Right. Uh, so. And I know that, like you said, we're really discovering a lot about MRD, especially in the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. I think one of the big questions that we're trying to answer is where is the threshold for understanding maintenance therapy, whether you're MRD positive or MRD negative? Like, how do we interpret that to inform clinical care once we know that test, that test uh, result for MRD? For you guys, were you surprised at how MRD, the MRD negative status played into the maintenance of survival outcome? Or was it yeah, this kind of makes sense to us. Yeah, I think we anticipated that some type of maintenance therapy would improve outcomes post-myeloma, post-auto transplant, which you know has been shown for myeloma. And you know, there's conflicting data on bortezomib or, or LEN as to which one would be better, if there is even a better option. And uh, I was surprised a little bit by the uh, inter-provider heterogeneity of, of that. So even in our own transplant meetings, you know, some people prefer bortezomib for the side effect profile. Other people, LEN, rash and renal failure is, is serious. And then for bortezomib, it's the neuropathy. So there's a lot of variability in that. And there's good data for both. I think that we now know that, and have known for some time at least, that 
maintenance therapy is necessary post-transplant, some type of maintenance uh, therapy, depending on what someone wants to tolerate and what they think they'd be good for. But uh, I think it's a new paradigm and it shows how outcomes for myeloma patients are improving given the incurability of it. I think the uh, other issue going forward that we did not assess in our paper, but that would be important is cost. Mm. It's one of the most expensive human cellular diseases to treat. And the cost of a few years of maintenance treatment is not insignificant. So uh, that's something we were kind of speculating about, you know, how would this influence, uh, how the choice of maintenance treatment influence financial toxicity as well. But I think uh, this is just further evidence that maintenance therapy is beneficial for those who can tolerate it and that MRD status measurement at least provides some data that we can use to support a treatment plan. Yeah, I think it's interesting you talk about financial toxicities. That's obviously a big concern for ASCCT and for, you know, everybody in the mm-hmm. field. We're constantly going on Capitol Hill saying like, hey, like we have to make, let's make this reimbursement payments mm-hmm. a little more reasonable. And especially as patients are living longer with these, after surviving these types of events, understanding mm-hmm. that level of care that you might need based on their MRD, having that biomarker there to kind of inform you is going to be essential. Mm-hmm. I, um, I, I definitely think so. It is a surrogate endpoint, and it's. I think the the, the survival for myeloma is so long now. It's nice to have a shorter term surrogate endpoint that we can say, look, this is going to maybe predict your progression free survival for this range of time. And I think it's also maybe encouraging in a sense for patients to know that, like, you know, they get like a positive result on this, and it's something that shows that their MRD is being attacked. You know, so we always want to hit that smoldering disease under the radar screen. What uh, the what the transplant didn't get, you know, what the what the malformation didn't kill, you know, and we know there's something there. So, I think it, it does kind of provide evidence in support of maintaining this as long as possible. Yeah, and to have that also, I was I was reading, I actually was reading a couple of days ago of the history of MRD, which I think is just really fascinating. Mm-hmm. How they one how they figured out what that even was, and and sure, how yeah. specific they can get. I think it's like one cell to one million count. Yeah, for NGS, it can go and flow in some cases. It can go that low and yeah, 10 to the 6. And it can go even deeper, I think, in some settings, you know. So right. it really it's the, the threshold of we know there's something there and what can we measure and for how that predicts a relapse, you know. I think we know that more MRD uh, in other cases is bad. So a different disease, ALL, you know, MRD is so finely tuned to, to adjusting treatment outcomes or adjusting different treatments. So I think, you know, the, the goal is to be able to have something analogous in myeloma. Obviously, different disease process, different patients, but right. uh, clearly very important. And it's, it's just becoming more and more sensitive with time. What do you think, like coming from your study specifically, what you guys were looking at, what do you think is the next step that needs to happen to kind of further examine exactly what those outcomes are and, and how MRD affects that maintenance? Sure, Yeah. I think the biggest thing is, uh, you know, continuing to develop biomarkers that are surrogates for survival endpoints and prospective trials, looking at different types of comparisons between different MRD assessment tools. So flow, next next generation sequencing, and uh, kind of trying to standardize these assessment methods. Because right now we can't really, I think, compare across different trials, whether it's retrospective or prospective. And I think that, you know, more head-to-head trials are needed, different patient populations, different institutional practices to be able to draw, you know, valid inferences about, about the data. Right. I think that's definitely a, a gap in knowledge. 
to identify patients who, you know, may not respond well, who may, who may need to be transitioned away. But I think that that's something kind of writing this paper and kind of talking to people from different institutions at ASCCT, like a major gap is just lack of comparison between these different approaches. Uh, you know, ours is only one, but I know that another institution may have a hard time interpreting just our eight color flow cytometry, you know, they might use ClonoSeq, you know, well, it's like, well, how do we do that? <laughs> yeah. And where, where do you think that challenge lies? I mean, in your opinion, why do you think it is challenging to do that now? I think MRD assessment is not really standard for myeloma either. So I think, you know, just doing that uh, more routinely for patients, uh, I think it's going to happen, but it's not part of the dogma of myeloma yet. You know, it's just yeah. a little bit behind, you know, just right now we're using more of the serum markers and imaging response criteria and such, but it's not quite there yet. So I think that partnering with like expanding clinical trials in the community as well, because so many patients are treated there that we're not capturing. So I think using more MRD assessment, kind of promoting that as a tool in some capacity to help guide treatment stratification uh, is important. So I think so two things, you know, one, one of which is standardization amongst ourselves and then also increasing clinical trial enrollment and um, in the community, which is, which is possible. Yeah, I just gotta, sometimes it's hard to get them together, I know, but uh, once you get them going, I think it's, you kind of create a breadth of work. And like you said, we don't really have a lot of understanding of how, you know, what MRD in, mm-hmm. in multiple myeloma, like, what are those exact differences? What's the toxicity of MRD? And what's that going to show sure. us? And how do we measure that? I know ASTCT released a paper, I want to say this year, that looked at kind of measuring that. And I think that's a really mm-hmm. big, that's a huge question mark in all the MRD stuff. I've, like we just can't, we can't differentiate if you have a little bit of MRD and what that means exactly because mm-hmm. one cell could be in the right, the perfect spot and cause a relapse. Or if you have a bunch of MRD, but none of those cells are in the right spot, you know, or they're not going to attach to this right thing. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. It's like, it's, it's not just those cells. It's the microenvironment. It's the it's the patient's uh, ability to tolerate further treatment, you know, so many things. I think, you know, ideally, and uh, it would be nice to be able to predict with great certainty what the level of MRD says about outcomes. And, you know, we like showed that in our cohort, and it makes sense, you know, deeper responses correlate with a longer PFS OS, but, but there's so many other factors too. Uh, we're just looking at a snapshot in time, you know, just mm-hmm. bone marrow sample, you know, just part, just the part of the bone marrow that sampled in that instance, you know, and I think there's a lot of variability. You know, if you were to sample another site or a different time, there might be something different, a varying result. So I think it's a good point to, you know, to be mindful of, of, the, of the limitations of what we have, but also be uh, encouraged by it and to kind of facilitate more prospective studies on it. But I think our, our study are, is evidence for that, you know, for looking at MRD as a valid biomarker. Yeah. I know that you, so you wrote this when you were at Vanderbilt, you're going mm-hmm. to uh, Washington U mm-hmm. in St. Mm-hmm. Louis. Do you plan on continuing this work? You know, wh- what do you hope to for personally next kind of step when you look at your MRD research and study? Yeah, that's a, that's a good, good question. It'll be good to establish a disease field of interest here. A lot of the work I did was with uh, Adetola Kasim, my mentor at Vanderbilt, my clinical and research mentor. And uh, we're actually very interested in uh, transplant for hemoglobinopathies for sickle cell and thalassemia, yeah. you know, of which MRD is not really part of the paradigm yet, but you know, there's no really malignancy to measure. But 
but I think that this is uh, kind of moving to different places is, is really nice just to you know you have all these uh, collaborators at your existing institution that you've worked with and then develop new ones. I think what we need is something like this where there's different institutions that have different practices but that know each other well, kind of peer places, and that's much easier to, to do joint database analyses uh, to you know solidify this further and and or do some prospective trials. So, but yeah, that, that's something I'm gonna have to uh, talk with the myeloma people here. Uh, Robbie Vidge, I think, is one of them, and yeah, uh, and uh, Dr. Perzio certainly. So, yeah, it's a it's a, a exciting thing to to be able to expand that. Yeah, I mean, it's a really. I am. I don't pretend to be an oncologist. I pretend to be a doctor, but to me, it's it's amazing that there's this such it's a very complex, simple thing, right? You know, it's, it's, it's a cell, but it has so much to it. And if we can capture an understanding of how it interacts with our body and in what ways and in what percentages, we can almost unlock a crystal ball and be able to help people make more informed decisions about their care. And that's, I think that's just the coolest type of science there is out there. Oh yeah. I think there, there's a few fields that or uh, growing with with the with the pace of uh, BMT and, and cellular therapy, you know, just a tremendous you know variability. I think there's one is that the blood is such an easily accessible tissue, so you know we're able to just look at it constantly and analyze it. But uh, I think that everything is moving towards nuance, you know, just further understanding uh, a very heterogeneous group of patients. And myeloma is such a heterogeneous disease, you know, like it, no no two flavors are, are the same. And looking at it beyond cytogenetics now, looking at it. You know, on, in terms of molecular features, but you know, I think that definitely being able to uh, prognosticate patients first, and then hopefully predict response to different treatments, maintenance treatments. Given that it's so it's so well entrenched that auto for patients that are eligible is going to be beneficial. But now beyond that, it's like, w- what can we do? You know, uh, to better characterize it because we see clinically just a lot of a lot of variability still yeah. in outcomes. It's kind of unsettling for patients because they know that it's not curable. So it's like, this is something that they're always going to have and always going to be treated for, right. which is, uh, which is a tough thing to, to sell. Yeah. It's not like a cold where you're just like, you know, it takes some cold medicine, go home and take, get some rest. You know, it's, it's Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and you know, so, especially like, you know, even like a lot of the acute leukemias, post-transplant, you know, that there is potential for cure, uh, obviously high chance of relapse too, but all the lymphomas, you know, there's a, there's a beginning and an end, you know, and here it's just, it's just a, a beginning. Just a beginning. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> just constantly, constantly going, you know? Well, thank you so much for chatting with me today. The paper is, I thought it was very interesting and uh, we'll make sure yeah. that we link this in the comment section of our article description. So if you're listening to this and you're interested in reading it, please feel free to find it there. If they want to find you, are you on social media at all? Oh, yeah, I am. Mm-hmm. What's your yeah. Twitter handle? Yeah, my uh, Twitter is uh, dpatel007, I believe. Let me let me double check on that. <laughs> you want to double check that? So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was glad that one's available. Let me, yeah, it's uh, at dpatel007. So. Perfect. Well, thank yeah. you for joining us. We really appreciate thank it. You. And we wish you luck um, at Washington. Thank you. Yeah, I will uh, see you guys at the, the next conference. Uh, hopefully, yeah. it exists. We will be uh, there. I'm going to Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, I, I was saying. I think. I think our whole group is like, no, we're we're going. It doesn't matter. <laughs> we're we're going to make it happen. So, make it but happen. Uh, but uh, uh, thanks for your interest in our article. We're, we're very proud of it. You know, it's this is data going back to 
for many years at, at, at Vanderbilt and uh, to be able to, you know, work with my mentors and put it over the top and get it out there in the ethers is, is a, it's a good feeling. So. Great. Thank oh. you so much. And I hope you Thanks, have a great Kate. rest of your day. Okay. You too. Appreciate have a good weekend. You too. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of ASTCT Talks. Never miss an episode. Subscribe and provide reviews wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about ASTCT, find us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, or visit ASTCT.org.